Talk Recorded live. Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christianity Saturdays. Today is Saturday, November 6th, 2014. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and thank you for listening. Tonight we are going to present Walking the Walk, Part 3, a series of... um. Programs which are designed to be, or intended to be, I should say, they are really aren't designed at all, intended to be discussions about Christian deportment, what Christians should be doing, what Christians should not be doing, what, how Christians should live their lives in, in this um, perverted, sadistic Sodom and Gomorrah in which we live or in which we um, are compelled to exist, I should say. And tonight we have something different. The first two programs we did with Brother Ryan. Tonight we have Pastor Mark Downey to join us for part three of this series. Hello, Mark. Evening, Bill. Appreciate the invitation. Thank you for being here. You are... I know you probably want to get right into the program. You have quite a list of talking points here. Maybe um, we should start with your intended opening prayer. Yeah, I always like to begin with a prayer. It's it's better than doing a program without a prayer. So, our Heavenly Father, we come to your throne this evening as your humble servants. We come with thanksgiving and praise for the victory you gave us on the cross. We pray that you give us discernment through, your, through our spiritual conversation tonight to better understand our duty in this world under your command. We stand firm with the righteousness of your word and that you will guide our walk in the way, the truth, and the life. We agree and accept the terms to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Lord, you know we have adversaries that stand in the way in the life and the truth. And detour our people down the paths of destruction. And so tonight, we pray that you will destroy the destroyers that keep our people bound in darkness and oppression. May their legs be cut off from walking and their mouths shut from talking blasphemies. Give us strength to walk through that valley of the shadow of death with the knowledge that you will restore our soul and lead our people in the path of righteousness. I pray that our people, Israel, will rise up as you lift them up, as you forgive us our sins, as we follow in the footsteps of our kinsman redeemer to do the work that each one of us has been called to do in establishing the kingdom of God on earth. We pray in the wonderful and mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise Christ. Well, uh, I take with that silence, you want me to jump right into it. <laughs> well, for the man with the outline, you're, you're expected to um, come here and discuss this topic tonight, so, so I thought you would be more than willing to lead the way. Well, uh, one thing you said, I think it was in part one, is the scriptures are for us to learn from. 
And uh, that, that was such a simple statement, but yet it is the cornerstone of our faith. We, we need to learn in order to grow and mature in Christ. Um, you started uh, your program in part one with Second Kings, uh, where you were uh, talking in chapter six uh, and um, about what was going on in, in ancient Israel at that time, where there was a, a famine and and the enemy was surrounding Samaria, and and it, it was so bad that. Israel was eating their children of all things. That's the the level to which our people can descend. Yes. When they ask how low can you go, that's that's pretty low right there. Um, and it was all because they had forsaken the law and the covenants. Um, by the way, the the curse was actually a fulfillment of Deuteronomy 28 that says they shall they shall besiege you at all your gates until your high and fortified walls in which you trust come down. You shall eat the fruit of your own body, the flesh of your sons and daughters, whom the Lord your God has given you. Well, this, this was clearly a cause and effect of God's word. And um, the people back then doubted the prophet Elijah, as they do today's teachers, um, especially in Christian identity. Um, the world out there thinks that we're just um, uh, extremist, racist. But, you know, what we just read there in Second in Kings, uh, actually to a degree, is, is happening today also. We, we eat our children today, and, and I remember uh, Patrick Sheldon Emery speaking about this, that, uh, aborted fetuses from from uh, abortion clinics were um, were sold to Jewish packing houses and and fed to swine, uh, which people would then uh, put on their uh, dinner tables and uh, and chow down that hot dog or pork chops or whatever, and uh, along with uh, vaccines today that are made out of human collagen. And um, the the controversial stem cell research, and uh, on the periphery of this is the um, insidious practice of uh, farming body parts, uh, especially internal organs, and this seems to be a a big business uh, in China, uh, in which I guess people uh, think they can live forever uh, by uh, when you're heart goes uh, out, you can get somebody else's. Uh, just go to the body parts store. Well, um, that's the world the Jews want to create. There's no doubt what, what that, life is, is broken down into a um, series of the ability to choose different economic decisions. That really is the, uh, the, the darkness that we want to... Uh, show how our people can come out of tonight. Um, you said the point uh, that you made in, in that um, uh, first part of uh, walking the walk was despite the depths 
of Israel's depravity, God still gave them uh, redemption and forgiveness. Uh, even though they had their own kingdom, with their own land and law of God, they, they just couldn't walk the walk. And then you said, so what makes anyone think the kingdom could be restored to Israel today under any circumstances for any reason? We're no better than our ancestors, and we don't deserve the kingdom. Well, uh, my concern isn't that we don't deserve what we've got, but to search the scriptures to see if there's some biblical models we can follow where the cause and effect of what Israel did brought forth blessings uh, because it wasn't always just curses. They weren't always continuously evil. Uh, just because we're a fallen race from the time of Adam, uh, does that mean we are as doomed as Edom or the heathen? We should have a, a healthy understanding of grace which uh, is unmerited favor, lest we boast of our own accomplishments. Uh, we can't forgive us of our own sins, but we can't stand idle either. We have to move to change the sinful nature, uh, which is called repentance. We have to walk in the right direction. So is it incorrect to ask, can we be better than our ancestors? Can our faith restore the blessings? Uh, James 2.26 says, faith without works is dead. And the simile is the body without the spirit is death. So we can say that faith with works is a good thing, but we have to qualify what kind of work. Now, faith is spiritual, and um, work is physical. It's, it's active, not passive. And our attitude uh, reflects what kind of walk we're walking. Um, I remember the years uh, I was doing art shows, and um, one of the, uh, the, the big uh, epiphanies uh, was that uh, attitude is everything. It, it's just that some artists had a positive attitude, others had a, a negative attitude. Uh, some had grouchy attitudes, others were um, gregarious and vivacious. Um, but really from a Christian perspective, our attitude or our, our spirit or our motives, whatever you want to call it, it really is everything, especially uh, in the learning process. Uh, the context of, of this work, which James alludes to, is a work of obedience or disobedience. And hence, I would say, blessings or curses. Uh, we don't want to quench the spirit of brethren working on their obedience. Now, Proverbs 6.16 has seven things God hates. And the last one is those that sow discord among the brethren. And I think that discord is when it's confusing the question, what shall we do, as asked in Acts 2.37.
this question really should be shouted from the housetops until our people begin to address the answer. I remember when I was living back in uh, Washington State, somebody, I, I never found out who it was, or maybe a group of people, started uh, posting these signs everywhere. And, and they were keen enough to evidently using ladders so that they weren't easily removed, doing them on power poles or trees, that said, what shall we do? And uh, it kind of created a, a buzz in the community. It's like, what's this all about? You know, not, not saying that it was from the Bible, but something to spark people's interest, that they could learn more especially if they're aware of, of what's going on in the world. We pose the question, can man make laws? And uh, I would say yes, but let me explain why. I, I would say yes, as long as they're compatible with God's laws. The, the spirit of the law is flexible in maintaining Christian order, and that's what NATO started this discussion on walking the walk, uh, was his, his, his questions concerning Christian order. And uh, this is in contrast to the letter of the law, which the Pharisees thought they were walking in, but uh, they were so strict with the letter of the law that it became brittle and, and easily broken. Well, we have a U.S. Constitution, which... I believe is Christian in every way, as it was originally intended, uh, but has obviously been subverted and corrupted. But, you know, with the advent of the horseless carriage, we need traffic laws to, to safeguard uh, public safety. Uh, by that, I don't mean driver's licenses or uh, uh, driver's insurance. Uh, well, registration could be used to um, uh, under the guise of could be could be in, insisted upon, and they have been insisted upon under the guise of public safety, and, and they become tyrannical. Yeah, again, subverted for ulterior motives, but um, uh, you know, if you're in a, a, a school zone, you don't want somebody driving by the school when children are being let out going 60 miles an hour. Um, not everybody has common sense, and if, if they do so, they, they should be um, stopped and uh, given a warning or, or some such thing that uh, would uh, be a, a deterrent uh, for such uh, ill social behavior. As you said, there's no political solution, uh, I would say, as we understand dirty politics. But what is political other than representational government? You know, Mount Sinai was a, a plebiscite to marry God, and God gave them a structure of the hierarchy, the, the blessings given to all the white families of the earth. The, there was a system of chiefs or captains, judges, kings, prophets, now, there's always been authority figures, but the problem arises with 
what people do with this God-given power or authority to reflect God's will. Uh, this issue of anarchy has come up, and or we should say Christian anarchists, uh, which seem to be grounded in the belief that there is only one source of authority to which we are ultimately answerable to, found in the teachings of Christ. Uh, Christian anarchists denounce the state as they claim it's violent, deceitful, and when glorified idolatrous, which is probably true. But I think anarchy, the word anarchy, gives the wrong impression by virtuous semantics. And, you know, one's entitled to their own opinion, but if you're not entitled to make up language to suit one's own purposes, a state by itself is benign until you impose one system over another. It really doesn't matter if a state calls itself Christian or not. What does matter is the principle of law that rules the nation. And I might also say that when you begin to qualify Christian identity with further appellations, I think you're on the slippery slope uh, to the way to denominationalism. And uh, I think we have far too many camps that are specializing in their little pet doctrines that are more divisive than the unity that we all aspire to. Now, English common law and uh, the Magna Carta were both in the spirit of God's law. Throughout the Middle Ages, the monarchs and popes asserted their divine rights to rule the people. In Latin, it was called rex lex, the king is law. They conveniently forgot the part about the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king. He will save us. Well, what was the law according to rex lex? Well, just ask the king or the pope, and whatever he said it was, that's what it was. Uh, the law was usually at his whim or whatever he fancied at the moment. Well, well I believe the divine right of kings was what was only um, able to survive because that divine right really came from the permissive will of God in the punishment of the children of Israel. The divine right of kings, all of those kings thought they had a divine right to rule over each other's lands or to use the Jewish usurers in order to oppress their own people and many other evils that they perpetrated. The divine right of kings I see as a product of Israel's punishment and, and the children of Israel should realize that only Christ could really be their king. And, and that's the sort of um, anarchy that, that Ryan, Brother Ryan subscribes to I wouldn't call it anarchy, but I understand his use of the term. He's not making up the use of the term. He actually derives his use of the term from the first European political philosophers who used it, where the use of the term that's common today and that most people are familiar with it is the way that the Jews have used the term for the last hundred years, but that's not the original use of the term. So we could split hairs over that. And, and um, the understanding is all in the matter of perspective. I understand that the terms we use, and, and I discussed this at length a few weeks ago, the terms we use, if, if we don't all understand them at the same level, 
that's going to lead to disagreements that we may not necessarily have if we all understood the term with the same definition. That that's um that there's so many hurdles to agreement, and and that's just one of them. Sure. In order to communicate, we need to define our terms. And I, I did listen to that show. And um, uh, as I said, the the semantics become problematic, in my opinion. Well, well yes. That's why I, I don't subscribe to the use of the term anarchy, but I can understand Ryan's use of it. I, I would rather call it thearchy, but somebody else would probably rather call it something else. As long as we agree that Christ is king and that he's our only righteous ruler and, and judge. And, and um, that's what all Christians should look forward to. But they should start to um, practice that in, in concept now and, and live their lives to conform themselves to Christ. Sure. And what we can unify on always is the principle of the thing. Yes. Regardless of what you call it. Yes, absolutely. Um, going on, the Puritans uh, found the Church of England so intolerable that they risked everything they had and moved to America to escape these principles of Rex Lex. And by 1620, they were here. And in 1644, Samuel Rutherford published a book called Lex Rex, which reversed the concept to mean the law is king. Well, this new concept of Lex Rex became the main current of American political thought that brought about the American Revolution. Yes. And government under the obligation of divine law. Yes. Uh, people may Thomas ask, well, why? Thomas Paine explicitly wrote that America does not have a king because in America, the law is king, and he was referring explicitly to the law of God. And people may ask why, and I think it's because our founding fathers were so well-educated that they couldn't find anything better. Uh, when James 2.12 speaks of the law of liberty, and they were quite familiar with Liberty. Liberty was one of the, the key subjects in their discussions. Uh, he didn't mean liberty or, or freedom from government, or rather freedom from sin. And when Paul wrote Romans 13, it was a Christian ideology for the body politic, not blind obeisance to Rome. In other words, it's possible to live in a beast empire if you truly are under divine judgment, uh, just as was the case with Daniel. But it, it's not that we want to live or relive what was going on, say, in the uh, Christian patriot days. That's what us old-timers used to call it before the, it was called the secular white nationalism um, several decades ago. And I, I came into Christian identity in the mid-1970s. Um, but to learn what worked and what didn't work. If you just don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, like those who reject Hitler carte blanche without ever weighing things in the balance or just seeing everything in a negative light. Uh, and you also mentioned tax protest protesters. And uh, 
uh, I, I bumped into those camps quite a bit also. But I, I basically discerned that there were two kinds of tax protesters in the, uh, from the 70s to the 90s. And it was those who knew it was wrong and wanted to do things God's way and those who were in it for their own selfish reasons. And the two should never be confused or lumped together. I, I'm always reminded of um, a famous person that said, take away the heritage of a people and they are easily persuaded, Karl Marx. Well, our racial heritage is, is standing up for what is right. And yeah, we, we fall short most of the time, but no other people uh, no other races have the law written in their heart and mind to walk the walk. Not even try to do good is forsaking your covenant with God. We are a covenant people, uh, both conditional and unconditional. And uh, as I mentioned to you the other day, Bill, there's, um, it occurred to me that there's a third level uh, from what we're we're talking about here from talking the talk to walking the walk to racing, racing the race. There's uh, two races in scripture. I'm saying this kind of tongue in cheek. The first is the white Adamic Israelite race. The second is the contest in which the white race must cross the finish line. We are a chosen race in a race to obtain a prize. Uh, prize is just a synonym for rewards. And you've been talking a lot about rewards and been explaining it quite well. Well, our race has two movements, if you can call it that, competing against each other. One is secular and the other is spiritual. And there's two different prizes or rewards that are iterated in 1 Corinthians 9.25. It says, now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible, alluding to our rewards in heaven. We're, we're not given a timetable for the day of the Lord because people would wait till the last minute. And we have no idea how long our lives will last, so we should be in a race to get our house in order, that we may rightly be called a good and faithful servant the day we die. Because after that, the race is over, and you either crossed the finish line or you didn't. But Jesus tried to take advantage of that idea in order to say that the apostles were wrong that Paul was wrong, that Christ didn't come when they thought. But the truth is, the apostles taught that the coming of Christ was imminent because that's how Christ wanted them to teach, that people would always live their lives as if he was breathing down their necks, as if his coming was right around the corner. We should live our lives, every day of our lives. Well, and uh, I happened to get a, an email this morning uh, 
and I've never heard from this person before, but um, he's he's quite familiar as an adversary and a Mr. Know-it-all, uh, who who uh, claims uh, Christianity is bogus and especially Christian identity. Although this guy will claim to call himself identity. Uh, I happened to, to listen to about five or ten minutes of it this afternoon, and sure enough, the, the Paul bashers were coming out of the woodwork. And, uh, I mean, I don't know if they're Jews, but it would seem that they were saying the same thing that Jews would say in denigrating the deity of Christ and uh, whittling away at the integrity of Christianity. The, the Paul bashers, really, if you examine all of their arguments, and, and you see all the places where Peter, James, um, the Gospels, all agree with Paul, and, and where Paul consistently agrees with the prophets and, and the Gospels, the, the Paul bashers are, are generally... The, the most ignorant people who ever opened the Bibles, because they basically, if you remove Paul, you have to take out Luke, and then if you go read Peter and James, you'll have to take out Peter and James, and John's next. So, those well, if they had their ultimate way, the Bible would be a pamphlet. And, well, well, right, and they would get to write it. They would get to write it the way they want to write it because the bottom line is that they want to play God because that God we have and that book he gave us, it just ain't good enough for them. Well, I remember when you uh, came out to uh, Kentucky to visit our church and uh, gave a message that was called Paul, the first Christian identity preacher. And... uh, you know why they hate Paul so much is because he fought like no one else at that time to prevent the Judaization of Christianity, and they hate him to this day for it. And and Christian identity is particularly a danger uh, to Judaism because we've discovered who's who. <laughs> and uh they can't be uh, the true Israel. It's one big canard. And other movements, uh, such as white nationalism, don't know who or what is in the race and don't care, even though they think they're racialist, which is why mature racialist Christians will heed the warning, be not equally yoked together with unbelievers. We could say, what fellowship hath winners with losers? And, you know, uh, I got kicked off Stormfront because of this damn big tent philosophy. Just let anybody in, anything in. Um, that, that philosophy includes pagans and atheists, agnostic, universalists, Judeo-Christians, Catholics, non-whites who look white, and, of course, the uh, lunatic fringe. Um, I've been in this a long time, and I'm still trying to figure out why we're such a magnet to the nuts. (laughs) 
Um, but to me, a, a lot of people that they have this internet and they think that that their fight and and their walking the walk and their racing the race should be on the internet, and then they go live their lives in a totally unchristian manner. That the internet is not where the fight is. The internet. It is, you're not going to persuade anybody on the internet whose mind is already made up. Well, the internet can be a useful tool, but it's also used as a weapon. And, um, oh, there's a great deal of spiritual warfare um, on the internet because people can enjoy their anonymity. And, um, um, we we might easily uh, spot their wickedness uh, by their facial features if we knew what they looked like. Well, well to me, Stormfront, Facebook, and, and places like that, what, where you have 10 zillion anonymous trolls and a whole lot of people who think that they know everything, and, and that's why they post information on Stormfront and Facebook, that they're only um, pushing an agenda, and they're not looking to, to learn anything. Those are places to stay away from. The, um, the, the Internet is an excellent tool for the dispensation of information. Christogenia is not a um, democracy like Facebook, uh, I can post my articles and my Bible studies on Christogenia, and people can come and take it or leave it. And I don't want comments from, from the peanut gallery, comments from anonymous trolls, because I'm not going to suffer that. It, it's, um, it, it's not for that. So people that are searching and, and really want to learn something can perhaps find my website and take advantage of that. And if they don't like what they see, well, they could move on. And, and they, 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 I'm not going to give them the opportunity to waste my time, which we see with Stormfront and Facebook. You get trapped into these long, protracted arguments, and you're left spinning your wheels because you don't know, really, what that person is on the other side of the keyboard. That person could be a, a, a Falasha Jew with a picture of a white guy up there, and he's just using you for fun, and you're wasting all your time. Yeah, and, and again, uh, we may not know what they look like, but uh, the more you study their behaviors, as the Bible says, you shall know them by their fruits. And, and that's really the, the principle of um, knowing who your friends and enemies are, what they say, how they walk their walk. Um, the, um, this inclusionary nature of this kind of body politic, like Don Black's Big Tent, it, it's doomed to fail from the beginning because it's based on the presumption that the unity of man will save the race. And, Hopefully, racialist Christians, especially Christian identity, will put their God and his word on the back burner. That's their favorite term. Put it on the back burner. Um, at best, I think this is wishful thinking, 
and at worst, it's an insulting delusion. But uh, I'm reassured by Second Timothy four seven. It says, "I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith." So we do fight. Uh, we do wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against realms. Uh, or in the German, it would be a Reich, meaning kingdoms or empires. Um, we, we fight against powers or authorities, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in the higher echelons of government. And this is spiritual warfare. So do we have any uh, models in the Old Testament where our people walk the walk? That's what I'd like to uh, focus on this evening. <clears throat> Were they always doing that which was evil in the eyes of God? But first let me uh, preface our discovery with the uh, the idea that yes we're all sinners and have fallen short of the glory of God but that our deliverance from God's wrath does not require a given number of people to be righteous there, there's just no fixed formula for national salvation and and rightly so I was I was thinking today that uh, God is simply amazing in uh, the way he has designed and, and orchestrated everything from the beginning to the end, and how, of course, we can't uh, obey the law perfectly. We're, he didn't create robots, and, and for that reason, we have a need uh, for a Savior to forgive us when we do wrong. And uh, thank God there, there isn't any formulas. The, the Old Testament um, calculation was that you would sacrifice animals, and, and that was the somewhat sterile act of atoning for your sins. But um, we now have a better sacrifice in Christ Jesus. And... Um, so the following examples show how their society, the ancient Israelites, were saved because of something they did. It was a work of the flesh, but it was done with holy motives. And if we're going to do God's will, how can there be any condemnation? So when we ask, what can I do for my kinsmen? Not, not that there's anything wrong with giving, uh, you mentioned this in part one also, uh, w which uh, reminds me of to, to whom much is given, much is required. But, but giving things with the right attitude, again, attitude is everything. Uh, giving with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Uh, kind of like it's, it's um, the old saying, it's easier to persuade someone with honey rather than vinegar or to give reluctantly. We want to be happy givers uh, so that our, the recipients, uh, our friends, know that it's sincere and from the heart. So if we're to impose a kingdom philosophy, we first have to persuade our people that the imposition 
of cultural Marxism or any other philosophy is grievous and bondage. When the wicked rule, the people mourn. When the righteous rule, the people rejoice. Give our people something to rejoice in. Now, things are not getting worse if one is a Christian. We, we just have too many promises of, of overcoming the world and letting it have any effect on us. Who can be against us if God is for us? This is one of the most difficult things for a Christian to hurdle. But a hurdle, we need a running start. We need to be racing the race. How? Well, Romans, be, be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There again comes our mindset, our attitude, our spirit. Now, sure, there's a, a dark resident in the White House. I'll never call him the president. But the silver lining is that the evil in our midst will always show its evil fruit, proving God's word law that the stranger shall not rule over us. And it's, I haven't looked this evening. I'm, I'm concentrating on making my presentation, but uh, for, for way too long uh, in, in the talk shoe chat, every now and then I go in there on your shows, and uh, it, it's just insane how, uh, how evil uh, someone can be uh, that's in the middle of our community. It's evil, and it shows what the enemy really is. I think the bloodless coup will be, will overthrow the rulers of darkness is, is political if we understand the semantics of the word politic or body politic, and that is the ecclesia or the body of Christ responding to their divine calling and, and getting their own house in order first. I think Christian order begins with self. Only you can walk for yourself, not anybody else. So my obvious uh, first choice would be Noah and his family. He was spared from the divine judgment to restore and propagate Adamic society and therefore the only kingdom of God on earth at that time. Wasn't any great numbers. Oftentimes uh, the, the glory of God is is all the more glorious because it was so few people that brought it forth. The cause and effect was that he obeyed and was blessed. He kept his family racially pure, and he built a boat. <laughs> what our, our people should ask themselves today is, well, what's my ark? What is our ark to save us from drowning in a sea of antichrist heathen? What was the precious contents of the Ark of the Covenant? Was it not the testimony of God and his law? We, we are superior white supremacists by the new covenant. God, I believe, supernaturally put his law into our heart and our mind and even our chromosomes. 
We were created to serve God. In order to serve, we must invoke and unlock the power of divine mandates unless we perish in ignorance and shameful concessions of equality as some folks are doing these days. Our people are ignoring what they should be doing. Hosea 4.6, we all know it. It says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge, not for doing what is right in the eyes of God, even if nobody else sees it. And, you know, that's been, that was the burden on Germany all these years uh, after World War II for the actions of Hitler, which were righteous in nature. Next personality I'd like to look at is Job. Uh, the book of Job is a masterpiece of wisdom and should convince every believer that no matter what life throws at us, no matter how many bad people surround us, no matter how many afflictions we suffer, our life can be blessed in spite of all the adversity and adversaries wishing us harm. All the characters in the story sin. Each in his own way makes God in his own image. Each is unwilling for God to be God on his own terms. And each in the end must stand before God, who is God, and who does not exist only in man's definitions or personal experiences. He is the God who defines himself with a definition that almost always immediately contradicts all others. And that would appear to be the eternal mercy for how man can get on the right track to walk with God like Job did. Next is Lot. First, Jeremiah 5.1 tells us, go up and down the streets of Jerusalem. Look around and consider. Search through her squares. If you can find but one person who deals honestly and seeks the truth, I will forgive this city. It was basically the same with uh, Lot's predicament in Genesis 18.32. Then he said, Oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak only this once. Suppose ten are found there, meaning ten righteous people. And he said, God said, I will not destroy it on account of the ten. Well, we should be encouraged then to expect, by earnest prayer, the blessing of God upon your families, your friends, your neighborhood, our Christian identity community. To this end, we must not only pray, but live like Abraham. He knew the judge of all the earth would do right. He didn't plead that the wicked be spared for their own sake or because it would be too severe or harsh to destroy them. That is, excuse me, that's Genesis chapter 18, by the way. Uh, I just want to let people know that. Isn't uh, that what I said? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. I I, I missed when you said it. uh, Genesis 18.32. That, that, um, Ten people righteous were not found. I'm I'm sorry. Go on. Um, 
Well, he, he didn't plead for the wicked to be spared for their own sake, but um, it would be uh, because it would be too severe or harsh to destroy them. For the sake uh, of the wicked, yeah. for, for the sake of the wicked, the, the city was going to be destroyed. If um, for the sake of ten good people, Yahweh would not have destroyed the city. That is correct. Yeah. So you know the point is that it all depends on your walk, and uh, it, it the numbers really don't mean anything to God. Uh, uh, I I get letters every now and then from a guy in San Francisco, uh, and uh, I don't think most of us would want to live there knowing that it's it's uh, ground zero for a modern Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, it's pretty bad. Uh, but he's found Christian identity, and he's found the way. And um, uh, because of his circumstances, he's, he's somewhat forced to live there, but uh, we'd gladly move if it were possible. But again, if God be for us, who can be against us? That, that's why um, I think it was Peter said that Lot vexed his own righteous soul simply by living in Sodom and witnessing what transpired there. And uh, that's why I think maybe we shouldn't be too discouraged uh, in Christian identity because I know uh, uh, there, we have a lot of good people, a lot of good families, and... Uh, uh, it, it's one of the greatest blessings of my life to have found uh, this message and, and the many truths um, that that I lear have learned from and still learning from that, um, you know, uh, no matter what they they can throw at us, they they just simply cannot separate us from the love of Christ. Um, and that should give us all solace as to our our walk in Christian identity, uh, even though um, you know all manner of evil is spoken against us falsely. Uh, that that's a blessing right there in itself. Uh, rejoice <laughs> when they uh, treat you like that, um, because they uh, they did the same thing to the prophets. Uh, this person I'd like to look at is Jehu, and this again in 2 Kings chapter 10. The Lord said to Jehu, Because you have done well in executing what is right in my eyes, and have done to the house of Ahab according to all that was in my heart, your sons of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. But, but uh, Jehu took no heed uh, to walk in the law of the Lord, God of Israel, with all his heart. For he departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, which made Israel to sin. Well, there was somewhat of a partial compliance that God gave uh, a mixed blessing. Uh, Jehu showed great care and zeal for rooting out the false religion of Baal, but his problem was that he took little interest in the true faith or duty to the God of Israel. And he followed in the sin of Jeroboam, which was that old cow worship. Uh, and also the people were also becoming aloof spiritually. And so the cause and effect was that God began to cut them short. Um, I don't know which 
came first here. The um, the the people are a reflection of their leaders, or the leaders are a reflection of their people. But uh, it, it does seem to be somewhat symbiotic. Uh, yet God used Jehu to affect some reforms. It's it's just too bad those who do good to others are not always good to themselves. Uh, an important principle in walking the walk is Second Chronicles 19.2. I, I really like this verse. I use it quite a bit in my sermons where it says, uh, and Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, should thou help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord? Therefore is wrath upon thee from before the Lord. So, but nevertheless, there are good things found in thee, in that thou hast taken away the groves out of the land, and hast prepared thine heart to seek God. Well, the point is that we can't be half-hearted or lukewarm. We must be zealots for God. Uh, lest, uh, as it says in the New Testament, uh, uh, you're lukewarm. That's, that's about as pleasing to God as spitting out vomit. And so uh, we, we have to be um, followers of Christ with all our hearts, all our mind, and all our body. Next person I'd like to look at is Asa. And Asa did that which is right in the eyes of the Lord, as did David his father. And he took away the Sodomites out of the land and removed all the idols that his fathers had made. Now that is 1 Kings 15.12. Well, he honored his parents, but he honored God more by destroying their little carved idols. As the land rested and was at peace, he built up his military and quashed the invaders. Quote, then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one beside you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord our God, for we trust in you. And in your name have come against this multitude, O Lord. You are our God. Let not mere mortals prevail against you. So the Lord smote the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And that last part was from First Chronicles 14, 11, and 12. Well, things do work together for good to those whom God favors, but it really helps to study and obey. We can learn from Asa that all the praise, glory, and honor for the victories in life we give to God. But Asa didn't tempt the Lord by being a, a disarmed pacifist. One of the most remarkable, remarkable events in the history of Israel. Jeremiah 51 12 through 25 is a prophecy against Babylon. And in verse 20, labels Israel with a trait thusly. You are my battle axe, 
and weapons of war. For with you will I break in pieces the nations, and with you will I destroy kingdoms. Well, the preposition with suggests that it's a joint effort. And there are parallel accounts, such as Malachi 4.3, And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet, in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Well, the ash indicates a divine judgment by fire. And that's what we see in the parable of the wheat and the tares. The reapers are said to be the ones that gather out of the nation all things that offend and them which do iniquity, which is to say Jews and heathen. And in Obadiah, it is not angels, but the house of Jacob itself shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble. And they shall kindle in them and devour them, and there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau. So what shall we do? Christ said, I have come to cast fire upon the earth. And what do I purpose? What do I desire? If already it is ignited or kindled. Evidently, this, is, this fire could not be kindled into a flame until something happened. What, what churchianity has done to Christianity is that it has emasculated the manhood of, of Israel with one Jewish war after another, unjust no-win wars for the white race, but very lucrative for Jews. The uh, rapture mentality has mesmerized our people with the expectation that God will do everything and are waiting for God to do something. However, I think it might just be the opposite. God is waiting for his people to do something. And what is that something? It's to walk the walk. Get in the race to win, not lose. We're supposed to be more than conquerors. But whether it's physical or spiritual warfare, we need to know our priorities. What is the Christian order? Before we attempt to do anything, and that is to understand the admonition in 2 Corinthians 10.6. Being in readiness to avenge all disobedience whenever you shall have fulfilled your obedience. And, and that's the key right there. And thank it you. It is. Scripture. You have to walk the walk before you can raise the race, as you put it. And you have to walk the walk before you can fight the fight. You can't fight the fight if you're not conformed to Christ. All of these men that you talked to did great things because they submitted themselves to the law of God. They acknowledged God as supreme, his law is good, and, and on and on, and saw it. None of us do it perfectly, as you say, and that's true, but we should all seek in our hearts to, to um, concede that his law is good 
and that we are willing as best we can to follow that law. And then we can think about racing the race and fighting the fight. And that's what Judeo-Christianity has done to our people. It's like they've taken a big hypodermic needle full of Novocaine and shot it in their head. Uh, people are just numb, uh, not knowing what to do, not even asking, what shall we do? They're indifferent. They're complacent. But the preaching of the cross by men of faith and prayer has always been fatal to the idle mind and to idolatry and wickedness. It sounds like something that's very doable and what we should do as our priority, just as Asa is a model of what can be accomplished by simply doing the right thing. We likewise have a model that can be emulated. Next, I'd like to look at Josiah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of David his father and turned not to the right hand or to the left. This also is in Second Kings chapter 22. Well, what we know of Josiah is that he was only eight years old when he took the throne and was schooled in the ways of the Lord while the temple was in much-needed repair. And it was at this time that they discovered the book of the law, realizing that their fathers had not hearkened unto the words of the book. There came upon a female prophetess that told the people the grave cause and effect of those years they were without the word and had turned away from God. But because the people humbled themselves and wept before the Lord, they were given a 50-year grace period. There was a public reading of the book of the law, and as a result, all the vessels of Baal and the groves were burned. The priests of Baal were put down. The sodomite houses were smashed. He cut down the groves, tore down the altars of Baal, and he slew all the priests of the high places. Quote, and never be let, let me cite one scripture from Hosea from 2 Kings 23 to show how bad things were in the time of Hosea. And that's or Josiah, and, and that is um, 23.7, 2 Kings 23.7. And he broke down the houses of the Sodomites that were by the house of Yahweh, where the women wove hangings for the grove. And, and what that one verse tells us is that the houses of the Sodomites were right next to the temple in Jerusalem. And not only is that where the Sodomites lived, but that is where they made the instruments that they needed to decorate their groves where they performed their sexual perversions. And this is right next to the temple in Jerusalem that this was going on. So, so they had their little headquarters in their manufacturing center for paganism, for their pagan perversions, right next door to the temple in Jerusalem. 
Yeah, I that's mean, like a that's like a big lump of leaven that uh, uh, makes the whole uh, leaven from the fast track. Sodomites <laughs> in a White House, right? And and it's basically yeah. the same thing. It's the same idea. Today we see all these sodomites in all these high places in in New York, in Washington. It, it's the same thing that Josiah was faced with 2,700 years ago. Well, where the Sodomites were moved right next to the temple, set up shop, and, and were obviously operating without fear. And my next verse is in chapter 23 also. It says, Never before had there been a king like Josiah, who turned to the Lord with all his heart and soul and strength, obeying all the laws of Moses, and there never has been a king like him since. Well, if we can see the importance of raising our children the right way, there are spiritual dividends. The cause and effect is seen in the remainder of Hosea 4.6 that says, Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. But thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law thy God. I will also forget thy children. I might add that um, a CI ministry or a, a learning center such as Christagenia.org should be an information clearinghouse that separates wheat from the chaff. And uh, I commend you, Bill, for um, being such a uh, house of information and knowledge and wisdom. Our next person is Hezekiah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. 2 Kings 18.3. Well, he began to rule at age 25 and may have been mentored by Isaiah. God raised him up to be like David. Like others who had done that which was right in the eyes of God, Hezekiah reformed and restored the worship of God according to the law and purged the evil influences from a society, particularly eliminating the brazen serpent of Moses' time, which had become an object of worship and idolatry, which was always an impediment to Israel's faith in God leading to superstitions and other dangerous evils. He was a destroyer of idols. Likewise, today, we need a vigorous campaign to cleanse our land of the idols of entertainment and materialism to be replaced with an excellence of family and Christian fellowship of which glorifies God and restores our own honor and righteous economy. I remember back when I lived in, in Washington State, we had um, cable access. And the big news story one week was that there were some high school football players who went out with their chainsaws and cut to pieces several Indian totem poles. Now, they didn't do this. Uh, they weren't drunk. Uh, they weren't partying. Uh, there was just something in their spirit that said, 
hey, let's go out and do this. And so I went on uh, local cable access. This was in the heart of Seattle, hotbed of communists and perverts. And I commended the lads and, and gave them scripture uh, not to feel bad about what they did because, of course, the liberal news media was chastising them and um, um, fomenting uh, public indignation for what they did when really all they were doing was fulfilling what was in their heart in the New Covenant. Well, here's another character that um, uh, a lot of people uh, regard in Christian identity, Phineas, perhaps one of the most popular characters in Christian identity because he, he killed a pair of race mixers and prevented a plague that was about to come down on Israel. This was a time when Israel joined with the stranger and the strange gods, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against our people. The epidemic of race mixing has reached such levels among the white nations today, and there's scarcely any concern about divine judgment. The God loves everybody mantra is situated in our body politics that even rational arguments are treated with scorn. Several years ago in Christian identity, there was a lively debate as to whether we have a Phineas priesthood today. Uh, Ted Wyland wrote a rather caustic, sarcastic article, I may say, called the Phineas Hoods, mocking anybody who thought they might have a role to play in alleviating society's plunge into multicultural diversity. On the other hand, Robert Allen Balasaius wrote a book called The Children of Light versus the Children of Darkness, which made a compelling biblical case for dispatching race mixers based on Numbers 25:13, which says, and he shall have it and his seed after him, even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood because he was zealous for his God and made an atonement for the children of Israel. Uh, my good friend and elder, Richard Kelly Hoskins, also wrote a very popular book called Vigilantes of Christendom, which was really uh, a compendium of what could be construed as descendants of Phineas. Men who made a difference in the direction their people were going. It's somewhat of an addendum to the heroes of faith found in Hebrews 11. In contemporary history with a kind of warriors of Israel's hall of fame. Uh, the problem today is clowns parading around as Phineas priest as if they need to announce their presence <laughs> and are most likely FBI informants trying to get our folks in trouble, like and, Randy Weaver making a few bucks for a guy who wanted a sawed-off shotgun, or Hal Turner, who attracted the lunatic fringe, who was a paid 
agitator by the FBI to get names and addresses from those who wanted to do something about the government. Well, Turner was practically giving away uh, free time slots for online radio programs, and the only takers, it seemed to be, just as ridiculous and saber-rattling as him. And therefore, birds of the same feather flock together. They're still around today, but not in jail like Hal Turner. But let me say something. In, in, in my estimation, if you think that you have some sort of um, commission from God to do something, that that's fine. Uh, I'm never going to speak badly about that. If you do it and you're successful, you better not brag about it. If you brag about it, you have your reward with men. If you're quiet about it and you're successful, perhaps you do have a commission from God. And your reward is with God. Since um, mid-19th century, I'm talking like the 1830s and 40s, there have been men in this nation, especially in the South, who were concerned with what was at that time seen as a plague of race mixing. And, and um, the, the original Ku Klux Klan was meant to defend white families from marauding and, and raping and robbing Negroes. And, and doing, they were pulling home invasions back then too, right? That's but correct. The, um, well, but with that, we've had... Many, I would count those men as Phineas priests in their own right. But but um, the situation's gotten worse. It, it's gotten worse with every passing decade ever since. No matter how many good men have stood up and defended their race and took action, not only with words, but with action. And I'm not disdaining any of those men, but there's other dynamics in play clearly, than there were in the days of Phineas. Phineas is certainly an example for how we should all feel and act when we can. But I would advise anybody to take overt action, to brag about it, to publicize it. And, and those people that do that are either fools or they are working for the enemy. Right. No doubt. Well, again, attitude is everything. And uh, if you are a Phineas priest, uh, you more than any other group of people uh, need to be humble uh, because what's the saying? Pride goes before a fall. Right. And, and piety does not need publicity. If you really believe God, you don't need to, know, to let men know of, of your wrongs, of, of your fighting the fight. And we should be aware of instigators that encourage people to go out and do stupid things, but they themselves do nothing. Right. And, and that's, you know, I, I railed against that a few weeks ago on a program here, and I haven't changed my mind about one word of it. I, I stand by it. If you're instigating others to do something and you're sitting on your butt behind a keyboard, you are a fraud. 
Yes. Your thought. Because you, you, if you really believe you have that commission from God, you wouldn't, be tr- you wouldn't need others. You wouldn't be trying to instigate others. You would be on the street somewhere doing it. In my uh, prison ministry, I have some very dedicated Christian identity men who could very well be descendants of Phineas, if not lawful avengers of blood. And when they tell me their stories, Bill, my, my heart just goes out to them. Um, several have told me uh, their stories where uh, their children were violated by some subhuman colored or pedophiles, and uh, they went out and blew them away. <laughs> and uh, one of my favorite stories, I don't know if you've ever heard of Ellie Nessler, no. but she was a lady whose six-year-old son was sexually molested by a pervert who raped four other boys. And uh, during the trial, uh, this pervert was smirking and and almost flaunting uh, what he thought he was getting away with. So Ellie Nessler took a loaded 38 and blew his brains out right there in the courtroom. And this got national news. Uh, attention at the time uh, because people could empathize with the injustice of of the the, uh, situation there. And uh, of course the the, the prosecutors got their conviction, but it was really kind of a blessing in disguise because Ellie had developed uh, lung cancer I think, and she was a, a poor lady. She she didn't have any money for medical expenses, and so when she went to prison, <laughs> uh, they paid uh, for all of her cancer treatments. So, and she was a Christian lady, and uh, the the Lord saw fit to take care of uh, again somebody in this day and age that did right in the eyes of God. Here's, here's a character that uh, did not do right, and I wanted to include him in our discussion because I think it's relevant. Achan, Achan of the tribe of Judah, took the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. Joshua 7, 1 through 26, if you want to read the story. Uh, from Matthew Henry's commentary, we read, Achan took some of the spoil of Jericho. The love of the world is that root of bitterness, which of all others is most hardly rooted up. We should take heed of sin ourselves, lest by it many be defiled. And take heed of having fellowship with sinners, lest we share their guilt. It concerns us to watch over one another, to prevent sin, because others' sin may be to our damage. The easy conquest of Jericho excited contempt of the enemy and a disposition to expect the Lord to do all for them without their using proper means. Thus, men abuse the doctrines of divine grace 
and the promises of God into excuses for their own sloth and self-indulgence. We are to work out our own salvation, though it is God that works in us. It was a clear victory to the Canaanites, whereby Israel was awakened and reformed and reconciled to their God, and the people of Canaan hardened to their own ruin. But we read from Joshua, uh, that is why the Israelites are running from their enemies in defeat. For now Israel itself has been set apart for destruction. I will not remain with you any longer unless you destroy the things among you that were set apart for destruction. Well, in the mind of the historian, the defect is entirely owing to the existence of secret sin in the Israelitish camp. Israel was cursed because of one guy taking booty. And the whole nation became cowardly. And rather than running the race to acknowledge their God, they ran away from their enemies. When, when Joshua and the Israelites were right with God, they, they were invincible. But when they disobeyed, God would go so far as to remove himself from their presence until they rectified the situation. Verse 13, rise up, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel has said, there are things under the ban in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you have removed the things under the ban from your midst. Well, Achan was found out, and Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan and confiscated the gold and silver and his family and his domestic animals and his tent and everything he had. What did Israel do? They stoned him and burned all the booty. And then what happened? The Lord turned from his fierceness of his anger. Again from Matthew Henry, quote, there are circumstances in the confession of Achan marking the progress of sin from its first entrance into the heart to its being done, which may serve as the history of almost every offense against the law of God and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, end quote. My point is that the kingdom can be restored. It's doable, as Joshua and his kinfolk demonstrated. But we may not be any better than our ancestors, but our thinking, our mentality, our walk with our creator has a built-in resolve to guarantee that God dwelleth among his people. And that's removing the accursed thing sin in the camp from infecting the body politic with, with covetousness or idols of the heart. Anything that violates the first commandment. And you know, even within Christian identity community, we have a microcosm of this problem. These defilers who call themselves identity but deny the deity of Christ. 
who call Christianity a lie, who bash Paul. And all of them mock God with their ungodly behavior. We have Achans in our camp. You know, we used to have one or two. Now we have at least a dozen of these false brethren who might as well be Jews. Well, if we look at, if we look at it from the perspective that Achan ostensibly, and Clifton wrote about this, wanted to be a banker, wanted to go into the usury business. That seems to be the connection with the Babylonian garment and the gold and the silver. That can't be proven, I don't think, but it, it's very plausible that Aiken intended to become a banker with that gold and silver. And um, perhaps that's why the Valley of Achor is given for a door of hope in Hosea 2.15, to understand the sin of Achan's covetousness and the, the designs that he had. And today, as you um, correctly point out, we, even in Christian identity, we do have many Achan's among us. They pretend to be walking the walk and, and Christian identity. And on the other hand, they are storing up to themselves the treasures of the world and, and participating in, in the Babylonian economy with full zeal. And they're really just like Aiken. Yeah, I didn't know that about bankers. I learned something new tonight. Well, well that's our opinion. That seems to be what Aiken's designs were, the connection being the Babylonian garment. Well, again, it, it begs the question, men and brethren, what shall we do? Anybody who's gotten a whiff of their stink would like nothing more than to see them burn to a crisp in the fiery furnace of God's judgment. But, you know, sometimes when served a lemon, it's an adversary that is beyond our immediate control. We make lemonade. We can show others. This is how the enemy of the white race operates. They're giving us a free demonstration. The covetousness is not the wedge of gold, but a slice of the pie, thinking they are somehow a genuine Israelite. And there's one particular adversary, calls himself pastor, that I know is a compulsive, chronic, habitual liar. How this person can ever call himself a Christian, I don't know. What do you he attacked me for years, and now he's attacking you. And I know you, Bill, and I know that he's lying about you just as he did me. Right. Well, well, that's because there are people in Christ who claim to be Christian identity, and their only design is to make a mockery of Christian identity. That they, they want to infiltrate it to discredit it. I guess it would be a, a wannabe white. Yes. Just like there's wannabe niggers, I guess, that are called wiggers. <laughs> but this is impossible for those who speak blasphemies and, and have an established pattern of lies and, and slander and misbehavior. We, we defeat them with the truth. 
no matter how many sock puppets they employ, no matter the gravity of bearing false witness goes. In fact, the greater their lies, the more preposterous they become. Even though they may be on the rise, they keep digging the deeper hole which they'll fall into. So, again, no amount of Achans will separate us from the love of Christ. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. Now, I, uh, I left the uh, title of that off on purpose just to see how many were familiar with our own Declaration of Independence. And it's a principle which I think is supported by the Bible that it's our right, it's our duty to throw off such government and to provide new safeguards for the security of our children. I mean, after all, even Christ told his disciples to sell their garments and to go buy a sword. Um, were the founding fathers wrong? Was Jesus wrong in, in telling his disciples to be armed? Well, our founding fathers gave us the greatest Christian nation in the last 2,000 years. And likewise, the devil people have subsequently mustered all manner of evil to speak against the church, which has prophetically fulfilled the apostate church. Isaac was tricked into blessing Jacob, and likewise, today's Edomite Jews are tricking the world into believing they are Israel. But what most people don't realize is that the Jews want to rule the world, and it's to the exclusion of Christ and Christians, white Christians specifically. That's interesting that you mentioned bankers, because their financial backing has been through the Rothschilds, a name which means red shield. And Esau, Edom, Edom means red. And we also know, if we know history, that communism is Jewish. And their goal was to establish one world government comes under many names, but Jewish communism was atheistic and was intended to 
be void of any Christian. They made which brings me the that they made theaters out of the churches in Bolshevik Russia, in Soviet Russia. They made theaters out of the churches, but they left the synagogues unmolested. And that's understandable, considering what kind of people Jews are. You know, we hear a lot about the, uh, the Holocaust in the mere six million, which for the most part is a uh, fabricated fantasy. Whereas we never hear about something far greater than the Bolsheviks killing in their bloodlust some 30 million Christian Russians from the 1930s to the 1950s. You used to read about it in Guinness's book of World Records, but they, they deleted that. They no longer published those statistics for the world's greatest mass murders. Wow, I would like to have an old copy of that. Yeah. I would. I'll have to keep an eye out for that. Uh, I read that in the 70s and uh, started noticing in the 80s it was no longer there. Interesting. So if you're looking for it in an old bookshop, uh, Guinness Book of World Records, um, probably around the 1970s. Next, I'd like to talk about uh, the American Revolution and the similarities to Blood River, which is coming up on the calendar. And only 10% of the American population took up arms against England in the American Revolution. We can't beat the government with their laws, but we can beat them with God's law. His word says, five of you shall chase a hundred. And 100 of you shall put 10,000 to flight, and your enemies shall fall by the sword. Now, can you believe such a lopsided ratio? The Boers were such a small faction of some 12,000 Afrikaners that packed their bags and, and loaded their covered wagons and left the colony that the British had despoiled with the nonsense of racial equality. And they started the famous Great Trek into the unknown desolate lands of the north. At the same time, the Zulus were moving south into the same area. Being that they were not indigenous to this area, the land could not have been stolen from them. And I might add that they were constantly accused of the white man stealing the land from Native Americans when it's becoming more and more apparent through archaeology that indeed the white man was here before the oriental migrations into North America. That's just a sidebar. But the resulting clash between the Boers and the Zulus was inevitable because the Boers walked the walk. At the Battle of Blood River, December 16, 1838, their inspiration, however, was not the art of war. No, it was the way they forged and fortified the spirit of the men 
prior to the battle with a covenant made with the God of Israel. The battle was between some 10 to 15,000 Zulu warriors and not quite 500 white men. And after the river turned red with blood, some three to 4,000 Zulus lay dead and not one white man suffered death. This was the birth of the South African nation and their program of apartheid until recent times when communists instigated the ANA. I'd like to talk about something you and Ryan discussed, and that's uh, the order, the Bruderschweigen, which I must say the, the road is paved with good intentions, but unfortunately it's the road to hell. Hmm. They all died, were, were convicted, and sent to prison. Now, some younger people may not know who the order is, what they did begs the question, when is it right? When is the right time? How do we know when it's time to do what they tried to do, only be more successful? Right, because they did believe in what they were doing, there's no doubt. And, um, you know, I, I read in Revelation when, when the saints are beheaded, uh, who's going to say, they were out of sync with God's timetable. The, the real question is when will we be willing to die for a brother? In fact, one of the order guys was killed by another guy uh, because they thought, they didn't know, they thought he was a snitch. Well, nobody wants to die, but that's the mentality that promulgated Christianity. We wouldn't have a, a Christian church today if it were not those who died for it. But that's somewhat of a, a conundrum today because nobody wants to die for nothing. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And couple that with he that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. I wrote a, a letter to the editor several years ago. Um, There's a little uh, book called Far Above Rubies. And in it uh, were two articles by two members of the order Gary Yarborough, and um, uh, David Tate. And I was flabbergasted in reading what uh, uh, Gary said in this interview when he was asked about death. And he said, that's what death is. We don't cease to exist. We change form. Do not the many cycles in nature which is the creator's countenance, give us this proof. We are God. God dwells within us, and we in it, everlasting life. 
Well, um, I think you, you can understand how perturbed I was with, with that statement that we are God. And so my letter to the editor was titled, We Are Not God. And I'd just like to read a, a few things which I think are germane to, to the whole discussion tonight um, that I wrote to uh, Gary and David, saying that since the notorious order collapsed, much fanfare has been exploited about them in books, movies, and other media snippets. The opinionated members themselves offer a divergence of perspectives. Many supporters admire the order for at least trying to do something. Well, Tate admits no shame in serving future generations of my blind and deceived race to serve is heroic. That's quoting him. He adds, praise us for what we are. So I ask, why are they serving a negative view of our people in a time frame that has not yet come to pass? Why doesn't he say, I find no shame in serving my God? I will remind David of Isaiah 42:19, who is blind but my servant. In conjunction with Gary Yarbrough's retrospective about some confusion in the order's command structure, objectives, and function. Everybody knows that God is not the author of confusion. If the order had had the discipline to rectify their confusion, uh, there's nothing to say they wouldn't be in operation today. Yarborough tempers the concept of victory and overcoming with an understandable defense of personal experience. He speculates that given another month, their enemies would have been very hard-pressed. I wonder, would that time have been for target practice or for practicing the faith of our fathers? Gary said, I think some of us lost touch with reality and what we could actually accomplish. Could it be they lost touch with God? From their own admissions, the order compromised or collaborated with a sort of non-Christian, racialist, pagan element, therefore forfeiting the unity of 1 Corinthians 1.10. There seems to be some residual fallout from the religious mix of the order to this day. Gary mentions a major tactical error. However, in my humble opinion, their real faux was not in their rapid growth of membership, but rather in their failure of maturing in Christ to separate themselves from anything that would jeopardize their divine mission on the battlefield. No man can serve two masters. Did Robert Matthews love and respect for all Aryan, for all things Aryan, include those things that are antithetical to scriptural teaching? Apparently, the admonitions of Second Chronicles 19.2, which I read earlier uh, in tonight's presentation, shouldest thou help the ungodly? In other words, the loose canons of the order, and love them who hate the Lord? Therefore is wrath upon thee from the Lord. Uh, it was completely ignored. The Bible is repl replete with the mechanism of cause and effect such as this, which the order unfortunately was not familiar enough with. 
God will reciprocate every thought and action. Our people cannot appease, compromise, or give lip service to other religions. Learn not the way of the heathen. It's delusional to think Christians can work side by side with the Church of the Creators, Metzgerites, Odinists, agnostics, atheists, and receive the blessings of our one true God. If our struggle is not a holy war, we will self-inflict the automatic failure of unholy alliances. White power can only be achieved through the strict, narrow, and, and straight spirit of an exclusive unity. The redeeming features of the order are educational in what not what to do for future victors. The mixed signals of the order were out of order with God and therefore do not qualify for the status it wishes to enjoy. Now, since their demise, many have gone back to the drawing board and have not followed in the footsteps of the order as a model to emulate. To praise the men of the order is not really the point. I can only thank them for the error of their ways and how it has affected what they believe in now so that others in our movement can decide if they want to be God also. Gary um, Arborough wrote uh, something very recently in August. He's been in jail for, gosh, 30 years or so. And it was a legal paper called a jurisdictional appeal. I'm certainly not going to read the, the lengthy um, a plea that he made. But I thought it was interesting at the very end, he said, quote, I have age and educated myself, improved my character, and bettered myself. I am remorseful for all my offenses, end quote. And I had to think, my God, after 30 years, he can't mention God? or his savior for what he did? I know he's, he's going up before a, a parole board, and, uh, and, and that's who his attention is directed at, but this paper was in the public domain. It was sent out there for the little fan clubs to, uh, to read. So I can't really encourage especially our young men, uh, to follow in the ways of those that have good intentions. Uh, but if God is not their shield and buckler, forget about any victory. Well, well and if we, if we are walking the walk, then we can't have anything to do with people. We cannot make alliances with people who are not walking the walk. 
two can't walk together unless they be agreed. That that God was admonishing the children of Israel with that statement in, in um, Amos 3.3. 3. But it applies to us on an individual level as well. You can't walk with the man that's not walking with God. One of the last things I wanted to mention, Bill, was uh, my own political experience. I, I was involved for 10 years with the uh, Populist Party, and uh, it was active in about 20 states, I would say. And over the years, we ran three or four different presidential candidates. Um, and I finally decided one day uh, to run for office myself. I ran for a, a state representative. But I did it with the intention of uh, using it as a soapbox for Christian identity. And it was really quite an interesting experience. Um, and I ran three different, on three different occasions. I, um, after all was said and done, uh, Washington State was the last party uh, in the United States uh, before we closed shop. We were perhaps the last one because we were Christian identity. And, uh, and we did not compromise. We had enough people to have clout within our state structure. Uh, some people worked with us that weren't Christians. That was okay, but they understood that we were the, um, uh, the chairman, vice chairman, treasury secretary, county chairman, and uh, it was our baby. <laughs> And I think God blessed us uh, for those years. Uh, if for nothing else, as I said from the get-go of tonight's show, uh, scriptures are for us to learn from. And what I learned was that we can't win politically. Uh, it has to be spiritual in whatever avenue we pursue to defeat the enemy, it has to be spiritual. And that's what I took away with, uh, with those 10 years under my belt. And I think I'm being far more effective um, since I kind of became a, a, a pastor. It was somewhat by default. And how many great people I've, I've met and... Um, and with the mission that uh, I'm here to to help my people. And uh, uh, my campaign motto was from Romans 13.3, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. And I think that more than anything was the, the sound bite. That was the seed that I planted uh, for perhaps a future generation, that someday they'll recall that government is not to terrorize their own people, but to, to get rid of the bad people. And those people are, 
are grinding America into the ground. Well, well, that was the original intent, but now the criminals are in charge. So the people are here to stay as long as the criminals are running the show. Well, like I said, you know, uh, the idiots that we have in Christian identity are kind of a microcosm uh, of the the macrocosm. Uh, Things keep getting worse and worse, I believe, so that there's no doubt in people's minds that we have good cause to um, uh, to shake off uh, such a government or, or governments that um, uh, such an abuse uh, of the people and the authority that is entrusted to them. Uh, when it comes, when they do more harm than good, uh, that should be an immediate red flag for people to perk up because it's not only their destiny, but their children's and their children's children's destiny. And that's our heritage. But the enemy, again, wants to persuade us to forget our racial past of our accomplishments, our greatness through the God of Israel, the message that is found and hidden in the Bible that we're trying to awaken our people to. What was re- the, declaration, the, the, the um, American War for Independence, the Battle of Blood River, the, those things are wonderful examples of what godly men can do when they are certain somehow, and, and that is spiritual, of their call to do it. The, the leaders of the... There was a prophetic time scale that they could not possibly have been familiar with, that the um, 2,520 years from, from the um, beginning of the entrance of the children of Israel into captivity under 2,520 years of, of um, tyrannical government prophesied in the book of Daniel and, and in the Revelation. Well, well, they could not have been aware of that, but they still had this spiritual awareness and rose to the occasion, and they were all, even though they differed on how to worship God, they were all godly men. None of them were atheists. None of them were deists. That's a lie. That's a Jewish, a modern Jewish deception. But the, um, they were all Christians. And, and they're wonderful examples of what we can do. But all of those men, you didn't see um, a Thomas Paine out in the strip bars on a Friday night. Yeah, you know, yeah, they, these men rejected things like usury. Um, they weren't in, in debt to the bankers. They were all godly men living their lives in a godly fashion. And, and, and they, were, they had a spiritual call to, to rise up against the king of England, and it was a tyranny, and, and they fulfilled it, and they prevailed. So, so that, that's an example that 
I don't know if we're going to repeat ever in that fashion again, but that is a, a wonderful model for what godly men can do. And, and as Paul says, you have to um, fulfill your obedience before you can revenge disobedience. So the order is um, basically... A, um, it, it could be easy to see why they failed, but, but um, there were probably deeper reasons than that alone. They, um, Christians have to walk the walk before they can ever prevail over the enemy. That, that's what I tried to talk about in the last program about positive Christianity and negative Christianity. And, and even the best-intended identity Christians major in negative Christianity. Oh, the, the Negroes do this, and the Jews do that, and, and the Jews are behind this and that and that and that. that that's the negative side of Christianity, right? And, and it's good and it's necessary, but they don't major in the positive side of Christianity. Yeah, they major in the minors and minor in the majors. Right. Well, we have to uh, uh, talk the talk in order to walk the walk in order to run the race. And that's just getting our priorities straight in order to have Christian order. I know we're kind of running thin on time here, and I just have one last thing, which is anecdotal. We have as many as 16 minutes. Well, I just wanted to mention, um, some of the listeners may have heard of uh, Robert Ransdell here in Kentucky, who ran against uh, uh, Mitch McConnell, the current U.S. Senator from Kentucky, and uh, one of... Uh, uh, Obama's, Obama's mistresses here in Kentucky, uh, a Democrat. Uh, neither one worth much any more than what you can throw them. But Robert Ransdell came up with a, uh, a unique campaign slogan, with Jews we lose. And... Uh, I took a little bit of interest into, well, who is this guy? Where's he coming from? And after two or three weeks, um, I knew he wasn't a Christian, but, but he, he had no hostility towards uh, Christianity. And so I called him, and uh, we were able to do a little bit of street activism a week before the election, and it was a good experience for all of us that were there that day um, because I got to, you know, he's got half the equation. He knows about Jews. He just doesn't know who he is. He, his background is William Pierce, National Alliance. And, um, and so I familiarized him with the, the basics of Christian identity, that the Jews have stolen our identity. It's their identity thieves. Well, lo and behold, we were in this huge intersection, and, and we were on the corner where there was this strip mall where we had parked our vehicles, and 
out of nowhere, this fat slob shows up, and first thing out of his mouth is, I'm a Jew, and, and starts getting into Robert's face. And um, we're kind of not, not paying attention to him. Why, you know, you can't argue with somebody that's uh, foaming at the mouth. And uh, I don't know if he was rabid or rabid. That's a little joke. Uh, but he, he really was foaming at the mouth, just uh, uh, livid. And, and so he, he walked away. And five minutes later, evidently, uh, there's a little Jewish community in this strip mall, and there's uh, four or five other Jews that, you know, started throwing the usual invectives, you know, you're anti-Semitic, and don't you know there was a Holocaust, and, and we're the kind of people that aren't going to fall for that, right? <laughs> but uh, uh, the cops finally showed up. And uh, their their only question was, are your vehicles parked in, in the parking lot? And yeah, they were. So uh, he said, you got to move them. So okay, no problem. But um, we uh, we simply go to the the next intersection down the road. And a couple hours later, uh, the tire on my truck is flat. And uh, I didn't get home till midnight that night waiting around for AAA and and I noticed that uh, the tire was flat on the side of the wall. It was sabotage. Right. And uh, and it was dark at night. I didn't notice anything else. We finally got my truck towed away and I, I came back the next day and we picked it up. But when I got it home, I knew it was sabotage because that Jew took his keychain or a rock, and there was a six-foot scratch going above the same wheel well. Well, here's the thing, Bill. That Jew thinks he's going to intimidate me or, or Robert. In fact, when we move down to the next block, Robert says, hey, come over here. Look at the, the rear fender uh, on my, my car. And there's a big glob of spit, big Slim of snot, and and that was a sign of pure contempt, right? Well, here here's the thing about these Jews: they they think that they can do things like this to us. They think they can troll your your talk shoe chat room, uh, slander us in all the venues of the internet, have their um, powerful ADLs and, and Southern poverty groups who weren't poverty-stricken at all. They're really quite rich. And uh, it doesn't make any difference to the real Christian warrior at heart. We're in it for the long haul, Jew, and get that through your thick head. We're not going anywhere, so get used to it. The day is coming, but your day will be up. Babylon is fallen, is fallen. Well, I pray that day comes quickly. But that should always be the Christian attitude. And, and if you're trying, and I sincerely believe this, if you're trying to walk the walk, and, and, and um, 
put your faith in God and stand up to the enemies, that then you're going to prevail. That's, that's they, what I tell the prisoners in my prison ministry and, and people I become acquainted with on the Internet. At least try. Don't give up. Don't be intimidated. Well, that was my attitude through 12 years of prison. Yeah. And I came out without a scratch. So. And let's face it, we wouldn't have Christianity had it not been for the saints and martyrs. And spilled their own blood for us. And and did so without fear. It's for fear of the Jews that makes closet Christians, that makes Judeo Christians. And they're their own worst enemy. Well well, absolutely, because they embrace the, those who have designs to destroy them. They think uh, that we're their problem. Uh, their beef isn't really with us. It's, it's with God. Right. But they're either too lackadaisical to read the word for themselves, or they don't believe it. They would rather believe their bail priest than a man of God. Well, well I encounter people all the time that... that um want to make a lie out of one scripture or another because of their interpretation of a certain scripture. And, and when you show them that their interpretation, which they are usually forcing out of context, conflicts with clearly with other scriptures, that they attack you rather than um, submit to the word of God and admit that they have to change their mind. That's true for all of us, to have a contrite heart to say, I'm wrong, and to confess our faults one to another. And, and humility is a, a, a large part of being able to walk the walk. But real humility, and I like to say this all the time, real humility is not kissing each other's asses. Real humility is a willingness to submit to the Word of God. If you and your brother both submit or, or are willing to subject yourselves to the Word of God and conform yourselves to Christ, there will be no, that there may still be disagreements, but there will be no animosity. Well, for real law and order, all people have to do is, is read the due process of Matthew 18, where if you got a, a grievance with a brother, you, you take it to him face to face. You don't slander him behind your back. And if he doesn't listen to you, then you go to um, uh, some other brothers and, and um, uh, have, have a intercession that way and if he still doesn't hear you you take it to the whole congregation and if he doesn't hear you then uh, he's he's an outcast that's the way it should be and that isn't always the case. It, it's a shame that it's not the case in, in um, Christian identity what you do is you create sects and as Paul admonished the Corinthians who wanted to follow a particular apostle 
rather than follow Christ, you create sects based around personalities, and people worship one personality and, and attack the other for no good reason. Yeah, we need to uh, eliminate the fan clubs. The only fan club we want or desire is Christ himself. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us, Mark. And, and I'm sure, you, sure there will be further um, segments of Walking the Walk. And, and um, I appreciate your efforts. Thank you for being here. I will be here um, next Friday with 1 Corinthians Part 10 that will be subtitled Israel According to the Flesh. And next Saturday, I will leave open the pro, I will, Yahweh willing, I will be here. The subject matter is to be announced. Praise Yahweh. Good night.